guys, I'm Laura. And I'm Vanessa. And welcome to another episode of a Tap on the Wrist podcast. Woo! True crime episode. We're, this week, our favorite topics converge... Yes. ...into one. Yes. Uh, I feel like we did true crime not that long ago, but it's okay. There's only eight topics on the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for anyone that's joining in this episode, we are spinning a homemade wheel that we made beautifully... Uh, to get our topics every week. So as Laura said, there are eight different topics. We spin a bottle on it. Let the fates decide what we're going to talk about. And this week it's true crime. And this week it is true crime. Which is most likely the type of podcast we might have recorded had we not gone alcohol history. Correct. So we love when we can combine alcohol history and true crime. Definitely do. We also love speakeasies. And I bring that up because Laura just sent me before this, or at least I just saw it before this, a speakeasy, um, I think it was 99 Franklin. Yes. And I'm so, I want to go so bad. It's in Brooklyn and we haven't been, so it's not like our bar of the week, but it has all the elements to be a future bar of the week. A hundred percent. It like, first off, it's a coffee shop up front and their coffee looks delicious. They have a signature drink coffee drink called the cold fashioned uh-huh. so it's a cold brew but it's got like orange zest and cinnamon so it's like a take on old fashioned and Sound. it's cold brew I mean it's up your alley if people could see my face I'm <laughs> so excited about it like if we're gonna go to a bar and Laura doesn't know what to drink she usually goes old fashioned absolutely um and so I feel like this and her love of iced coffee like it's just it's the perfect combination i will go here (laughs) soon but then besides the coffee after like normal coffee hours in the afternoon i just said coffee super new york (laughs) uh you can open the wall and it's a speakeasy with delicious looking cocktails yes we love a craft cocktail so you know we haven't tried them but they look fun and interesting and then they have a back patio as well yes and laura can attest that i got really excited when they got Mm -hmm. to that part because they have a fire pit and they give you stuff to make s'mores so it is cold brew it is craft cocktails it is s'mores at a fire pit what are you doing saturday (laughs) because it's everything we need in a coffee shop yes yes Um, so on that note, if you, anyone listening knows of any cool speakeasies like this that we have yet to discover, even if they're not in New York, because, you know, we do want to travel again more, uh, just send them our way. You can email us at tapontheristpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. And we are going to be telling two really interesting true crime stories this week. We'll be posting some pictures and potentially a video on our Instagram and social. So make sure you're following us at a tap on the wrist on both Twitter and Instagram. Yes. Though, to be honest, we use mostly Instagram. So definitely follow us there. Yes. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, let's get into these stories. Let's do it. So today I am going to be talking about the death of Abby Connor. It's not... Maybe it's a murder. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Okay. But it's, it's a little different from like my typical 
true crime murder stories. So Abby was a 20-year-old girl from Wisconsin. Uh, she was a junior at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater and had hopes of going into business, specifically human resources. And in 2017, Abby went on vacation to Mexico with her stepfather and her mother, John and Jenny McGowan, as well as her older brother, Austin. The family stayed at an all-inclusive five-star Ibero Star Resort, saying star twice in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Threw me off a little. Uh, it was located north of Playa del Carmen. Or, Yeah. Yeah. So after arriving at the hotel, Abby and Austin decided to go to the pool where they went to a swim-up bar and ordered shots of tequila. John and Jenny went for a walk on the beach before joining the kids at the pool, where Jenny ordered a frozen strawberry drink and relaxed as her kids swam. It was noted that both Abby and Austin were really strong swimmers because they grew up on a lake and spent a lot of their time in the water. Jenny noted that at one point, she Abby got out of the pool to go to the bathroom. They went to check out a small hut to look at clothes and souvenirs, and everything seemed normal. Abby seemed fine. Uh, then around 5.30 or 5.45, John and Jenny decided to head back up to their room where they were going to get ready for dinner and then they were going to meet their kids in the hotel lobby at around 7 p.m. So they did that. They went down to the lobby at 7. Some time passed. Eventually it was like half an hour later and they were like, where are the kids? So Jenny went up to the front desk and asked a hotel staff member to call up to Abby and Austin's room uh, because apparently like the stepfather and mother were staying in one room and then the brother and sister were in another. Like they didn't have cell phones in 2017? Uh, no, they did, but they noted that there was like no cell service at the okay. resort. I was like, that um, seems so weird. So I like... actually had written that in and then I skipped it because I was like, eh, not important. <laughs> so it's funny that you put it up. Because my first thought was like, why wouldn't you call them or text them? Yeah, yeah, no. They noted that there was, like, no cell service at this resort. Okay. Um, I don't want to stay there then. I know, right? <laughs> uh, so she went up, so she had to ask the front desk to call up to the room. Um, the worker, the mother said, got kind of, like, flustered and, like, told her to wait and to get her husband and went to the get the manager uh, and when the manager came out he informed Jenny that there had been an accident and both Abby and Austin were at the hospital after being found unconscious face down in the hotel pool what both of them both of them yeah what yeah so the two had been taken to Hospitan Riviera Maya I'm not sure if I said that right even sorry uh, but it was a small medical center that was about 14 miles away from the hotel, uh, which is apparently not the largest or even the closest medical center. Uh, so that was to the hotel. So it was kind of weird that they were sent there specifically. And when Ginny and John got to the hospital, there was some good news. Uh, they were told that Austin was stable and that he had suffered a severe concussion. He had like a golf-sized ball on his head I guess from getting hit in the head but he was conscious and he was going to be fine Abby was another story when Ginny and John got there Abby was already on a ventilator and unresponsive 
Uh, it would later be concluded that Abby had a lack of oxygen to the brain and cerebral, cerebral inflammation, uh, which led to her being in a coma. She also had a cracked collarbone. Uh, the family also noted that when they arrived, the hospital demanded a $10,000 deposit and an additional like over $6,000 payment before they would take Abby to an intensive care unit. And they like asked the hotel to help them pay for that since it was an accident on their property and the hotel refused. I'm already not liking the vibes of this story. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty sad. Um, sorry to start with <laughs> with a downer. But uh, Abby, that's, that's often the case with true crime. Yeah. Uh, so Abby was later moved to a hospital in Cancun before being flown to Roward. Broward Health Medical Center in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So yeah, she was Broward. Broward. So yeah, she was flown back to the U.S. Uh, unfortunately, after a couple of days of testing, it was declared that Abby was brain dead. And on January 12th of 2017, or I guess it may have been 2018 at that point. No, 2017. On January 12th of 2017, her family decided to withdraw life support. Uh and she died and i will circle back to this but just to note that abby was an organ donor okay. now as i noted austin was okay he was fine uh, and he did fully recover and he did have some memories of what led up to this tragedy he says that he remembers talking to a couple at the bar and also hanging out with a group of young guys who invited him and abby to do a shot with them he wasn't sure what was in the shot but he said it reminded him of a Jaeger bomb, which for anyone who doesn't know is a shot of Jaegermeister with the article I read said beer or Red Bull. I've only seen it with Red Bull, but, right. but apparently it could be with beer as well. Uh, he did note that he and Abby had already had four or five tequila shots that day, but also said that they hadn't had any kind of relaxants or pills. And while they had smoked weed back in the U.S., they hadn't smoked at all after arriving in Mexico that day. So there was, like, no supplemental thing in their system. Right. Just the alcohol. Uh, but it was after that final shot that things went black for Austin. And the next thing he remembered was waking up in the ambulance. And in a quote to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Austin said, I've been in college for five years and had my fair share of drinks before. No way in hell I'm putting my face down in a pool and going to sleep. Like, he found it very strange that he would pass out. In the pool. In right. the pool. Um, and from, like, everything I read, it seemed like what he was saying is that they had done other shots, but they were, like, spaced out throughout the day. They weren't, like, doing shots back-to-back, yeah. back, like, within a short span of time. So... Toxicology reports showed that Austin's blood alcohol level was 0.26 and Abby's was 0.25. And according to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, blood alcohol content of 0.25 and higher can cause severe drowsiness, confusion, vomiting, slurred speech, lack of balance, loss of motor skills, even to the point of inability to stand or walk, and unconsciousness. At 130 pounds... Abby would have had to drink about seven shots in one hour to get that level, to get to that level. And, like, her brother would have remembered that. Yeah. 
And his was also 0.26, so, like, he would have had to drink, I mean, I'm sure he was weighed more, but, like, still would have had to drink them pretty quickly. Right. Um, and so they both would have had to have taken enough shots to get to such a high level of drunk that they, they both, both passed drunk. out at the same time, yeah. face down in a pool. Seems a little weird. It's very sus. Yeah. Um... So, while some consider Abby's death to be an accidental drowning spurred by her drinking, many others, like us right now, don't think that that was the case. Uh, because it's just, it's just weird. Like, for both, this had happened to both two people at right. the exact if same time. If you had told me it was just her, yeah, I could see an accident, a terrible accident happening, of course. Yeah. But for them both to have been found unconscious, face down in the pool... Yeah. There's definitely something suspicious. Right. So, Abby and Austin's father, Bill Connor, because they were with the stepfather, uh, in particular believes that they were either slipped a drug or given some kind of toxic alcohol. Um, And I do want to note that their blood test didn't detect any opioids, cocaine, or... Bays of Zetabines. I don't know how to say this word. Okay. <laughs> uh, Bays I don't know. Sorry. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> You're not? <laughs> but not all drugs were tested. I also should note that they weren't robbed or sexually assaulted as far as we know. Though Ginny, her mother, had asked for a rape kit to be done. Um... And that doctor claimed to have, but I guess in the paperwork that they got, there was, like, nothing about it. So we don't 100% know for sure, but we assume that they weren't sexually assaulted. So there wasn't, like, a clear motive for someone having purposefully drugged them. Um, That doesn't rule out that they might have had bad alcohol. Right. So, believing that there was some kind of wrongdoing involved, a few days after the incident... Austin and his stepfather, John, hired a translator and went to the police to, like, file a report. Um, And they were met with a lot of resistance at the police station. They were told that Abby's death was an accidental drowning and that they couldn't get really much anything else besides that. So they decided to hire an American law firm to, like, look into it for them. And they found that there was little to no investigation done concerning Abby's death. In fact, only three hotel employees had been interviewed, the pool manager and the two security guards, who were the people that pulled them from the pool. But there were no statements from any other hotel guest, no statements from the bartender or the woman who had alerted the hotel staff that she saw Abby and Austin face down in the pool. I was just thinking, if this is like an inclusive resort, there had to be people around. Right, yeah. Um, And from the three statements that they did get, there are some things that seem strange. So besides the fact that, yes, there had to be other people around, including this couple and this group of guys that he remembers talking to, security was the security guards that, like, they interviewed were only 20 to 30 seconds away from where Abby and Austin were. So, like, how could they have been Been in trouble for so long that, like... No one noticed. Yeah. Yeah. And were there not lifeguards on duty? No, that there weren't lifeguards, actually. Oh. It was, oh, because that's another point. The pool was very shallow. It was, like, four feet and under. 
It was a very shallow pool. Yeah. Something definitely suspicious happened. Yeah. Uh, the three people that were interviewed claimed that they got when they got there, CPR was performed on Abby, but she was unconscious with a low pulse and spitting up foam from her nose and mouth. Austin, on the other hand, was moving and spitting up water as they pulled him out. It was also claimed that Abby was quote-unquote seen drunk at 7.03 p.m., sitting on the edge of the pool where the water, again, was less than four feet deep. But Jenny finds this odd because if a drowning had happened after 7 p.m. when they were already waiting in the lobby for them, like, why was there no commotion? Why, like, an ambulance I was just thinking, would like, come to the hotel to pick up two people and, like, no one noticed? Yeah. Um... And the hotel also claims that they don't have any surveillance footage of the pool area, which seems a little odd for a five-star resort to not have cameras. Right. But, you know, okay, maybe they don't. And maybe they used, like, a back road for the ambulance. Like, they pulled them out through the back of the hotel. But that doesn't explain why they won't let more of their staff be interviewed, um, including the bartender that was there. Like, it's... It's just weird. It's very weird. Uh, and so in 2018, Abby's family filed a wrongful death civil lawsuit against the Abira Star Hotel and its affiliates, claiming that they knew the alcohol being served was, quote, tainted, substandard, poisonous, unfit for human consumption. They claim the hotel used an illegal distillery to supply alcohol, and their claims may not be unfounded. Like we said, everything is suspicious. But besides that, shortly after Abby's death, the U.S. Department of State issued a travel advisory regarding tainted alcohol in Mexico. The lawsuit claims that Mexican authorities suspend, sorry, the, law, the lawsuit from the parents claims that the Mexican authorities after this death suspended the hotel lobby's bar after raids found gallons of tainted alcohol in the area in 2017. And as we've noted in previous episodes, a lot of these bootlegged alcohols contain toxic levels of methanol, which is not fit for human consumption. Uh, It's extremely dangerous and often deadly. And we've talked, you know, in the past about instances where it has caused like blindness and death in other people. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, which I used a lot for the story, so shout out to them, conducted a special investigation where they found over 200 other people who had similar experiences at resorts, and about 100 of whom said that they had, quote, blacked out from small or moderate amounts of alcohol and were robbed, raped, or otherwise injured while visiting all-inclusive resorts in Mexico. And similar to Abby, in most cases, the police seemed to do little to investigate. The investigation also cited a 2017 Mexican government spearheaded study that found that as much as 36% of alcohol consumed throughout Mexico is produced illegally and unregulated. And even more damning, just months after Abby's death, authorities in Mexico seized seized 10,000 gallons of illicit alcohol from a manufacturer who supplied resorts in Cancun and Playa del Carmen. And according to the Connors lawsuit, this vendor was retained by a Bureau Star hotels um, and regularly supplied alcohol to them. The resort, of course, denies that they serve tainted alcohol to guests. Of course. Of course. (laughs) The family attorney in the claim was quoted as saying, there's a big difference between being drunk and losing self-control. 
Combine that with what we know has happened in the Playa del Carmen area over the last few years. Clearly, there is a fundamental problem, or there was at the time when Abby died, as a result of having consumed this concoction, whatever it was, which was portrayed as normal alcohol, which it was not. Um, and that's really all I could find. Like, I couldn't find if the family won the suit or settled. Um, the most recent articles were in 2019, and basically just had the same information um, and the reason was because something similar was happening in the Dominican Republic around that time. I was going to say, I remember when it happened in the DR. Yeah, so like the story kind of resurfaced at that time because it was similar uh, to what was happening in the Dominican Republic. But uh, yeah, if anybody knows where the story went, you feel free to let us know. Yeah. Tap on the podcast at gmail.com because yeah, the last I could find was that they... We're still had, fighting. Had, yeah, still we're fighting um, for justice for their daughter. Um, but I do want to end on something a little bit more positive. In 2017, Abby's father, Bill, completed a more than 2,500-mile bike ride from Madison to the hospital in Fort Lauderdale where Abby spent her final days. Um, and it was kind of to... Uh, commemorate her but also to promote um organ donation because as i said i was going to circle back to the fact that she was an organ donor and um her father you know her father talked about how i think her eyes went to help people see and some of her other organs helped to go on to help other people live but on that bike ride he made a slight detour and he stopped in baton rouge louisiana where he met a 21-year-old man named Lamont Jack Jr. Sorry if I said that wrong. Um, And this young man was actually the recipient of Abby's heart. So using a stethoscope, Bill got to listen to his daughter's heart beating and giving somebody else life, which is like so emotional. and uh, there's actually a video that went viral of that, and I feel like I do remember. He- I like I feel like I didn't know the story behind it, right. but I feel like I remembered seeing that, like a father listening to his heartbeat. I think I've heartbeat. seen like videos yeah. of that in the past. Yeah, so there is a viral video. So you know we uh, can maybe post a link on Twitter, even though we don't really use Twitter. Uh, well, we might be able to post the video if we can figure it out. Yes, uh, but it is very emotional, um, and yeah, that is unfortunately the sad death of Abby. And I hope that you know that the family has gotten some kind of justice, or that they will. Uh, if we hear anything in the future, we can always give an update. Right. Um, but it's it's really sad, and it's really suspicious to me. Again, like you said, if it had been just her okay, maybe I could believe the accidental drowning. It's just so weird to me that it was both her and her brother. Right. And I wonder if there's a history of any of this happening at the hotel. Yeah. That specific hotel before. Right. Yeah. I I didn't have time to read the full in-depth investigation that um, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel did, but... They do have a lot of information on their website. I I didn't I don't know that I saw anything in that exact hotel, but there were a lot in like the resorts in that area. Um, so definitely 
check it out if you're interested. Um, they were, again, my main source. So the article that I really used was A Mexican Vacation, A Mysterious Death, and Now Endless Questions for a Wisconsin Family by Raquel Rutledge. And she's the one who then went on to do the investigative reporting of all the other occurrences in Mexico uh, at these resorts. And she, again, has this like really in-depth article besides this one about just all of the mysterious things that happened. Uh, and I, I wish I had had time to read it, but I always leave my stories for the last minute and uh, at a detriment to myself. <laughs> um, then I used another article from BBC.com called U.S. Family Sues Cancun Resort Over Poisonous Alcohol Death and an article from the New York Post called Woman Died from Poisonous Booze at Mexican Resort Lawsuit by Joshua Rhett Miller. And uh, yeah, there's also an HLN video. I didn't really use anything that was different from what I read in these articles but if you watch HLN it's just that. so sad like you start your vacation and then for it to end so it was tragically. the first day of their vacation like they had yeah. only been there for a few hours that's terrible yeah super sad even though I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts most of the time when we do these true crime themes my stories are not murders yeah but today it is. Okay. <laughs> so we switched it up a little bit. I don't know how this always happens. Uh, my story today I'm going to share is the tragic murder of Meredith Height. But there's a little bit more to that. But I don't want to give away too much of the story yet. Okay. So Meredith Emily Lane was born Tuesday, December 12th of 1989 in Chambly, Georgia. Uh, and according to her parents, she spent her early years just being a kid. She loved playing in the woods, being with her dog, Abby. She was known to invent board games in chalk all over her driveway. Uh, she was also quite athletic. Um, she loved dance, starting ballet at age three and continuing with ballet and jazz for over 10 years. And then she also brought that dance background into the pool. She was a competitive, prize-winning, synchronized swimmer. She also rode horses and was a volleyball player. Like, very athletic. Very well-rounded. Very well-rounded. Yeah. Um, she went away to college in Georgia at first, like a local community college in Georgia. But in 2011, Meredith transferred from her Georgia college to the University of Texas at Dallas to study mathematics and as you do when you're in college and you're in a new state you've got to like make some friends and meet people and so Meredith started to hang out with the neighbors in her neighborhood uh, one of which was a guy by the name of Spencer Height and they had a very quick friendship that blossomed into a very like fierce romance very quickly Spencer is quoted as saying we just had this fire this chemistry um, to one of his friends very quickly after he met Meredith uh, Spencer is free-spirited he loved dogs he loved art and one thing that they shared in common is a love of attending renaissance fairs so it was noted they did that together okay. as one of their hobbies so after just a few short months of dating, uh, Spencer and Meredith actually got married in Collin County in September of 2011. 
And so, I mean, she only moved to Texas in 2011. So they'd known each other less than a year when they got married. And then the following year in 2012, they had um, a bigger ceremony in the Caribbean. They did like a cruise down to Jamaica. They had like a wedding in Jamaica with loved ones um, and then came home. So they were a young couple in love. Like that's just who they were newlyweds living in Texas. They graduated college and Spencer was noted as being a very loving husband. And as the true millennials that they were, everything was documented on Instagram for their first few years of marriage. So concerts they attended, home-cooked meals, Game of Thrones watching sessions they had with friends. Mm -hmm. Everything seemed very happy and healthy in their relationship because it was Instagram. Um, But behind the scenes, it's noted that Spencer was really a little bit of a party animal. Um, He drank a lot. Uh, He had quite a short temper. And then it being Texas... It's not a surprise he did keep guns in their home. And being that their love of Renaissance fairs, he also had a collection of knives and swords. But most of that wasn't documented on their social media. It's like everyone, they were just a very happy couple living their lives. I don't believe what you see on social media. Yes, you never know what's happening. It's always... I mean, everyone always posts the best side of themselves. I'm not going to post crappy pictures of myself or like right. me at my worst. Right. Yes. You just don't do that. Yeah. Anyways. But after the, the first couple years of Wedded Bliss, um, things did slowly start to change for the Heights. Shortly after buying a home in 2015, Spencer lost his job um, with Texas Instruments, which is like the calculator company. Oh, but yeah. He was working for them and was let go. And Meredith at the time was working for Coca-Cola, like the beverage company, uh, in Fort Worth. And her job was pretty decent. She was making a pretty good salary. So she, you know, had told Spencer, like, I can pay the bills and shoulder the mortgage while you figure out what your next move is. I want you to get a job you really like. Mm -hmm. And... He took that as like a, I don't really have to do anything. My wife has got it. Yeah. Uh, And it's, her mom, Meredith's mom is quoted as saying, Meredith took her marriage vows very seriously. She knew that this was like a bump in the road for their marriage, but she was committed to Spencer and wanted the best for him. So she gave him time to kind of get his act together. And Spencer is quoted as saying to a friend of his that Meredith was quite understanding at first. And then she began hounding him for not contributing to their household bills and always drinking and playing video games. Okay. Which I kind of understand. Yeah. I, I, I get, you know, a six-month period maybe where you're trying to figure right. out what you want to do and your wife is willing to do it. But then it comes a point where... Yeah, you gotta, like, help. Yeah, especially if you're, like, not actively looking for something, you know? Right. I can understand, too, even if it takes longer than that initial period, because you keep trying. Right, or you decide you're gonna go back to school, or, you know, things happen. And yes, marriage should be 
serious and it shouldn't, you know, I'm glad that Meredith was open to, you know, giving him the benefit of the doubt and working through this time. Mm -hmm. But it's noted, you know, his drinking got way more excessive. Uh, He, he was just, it looked like he was going nowhere. And so after two years of trying to get Spencer to get his act together and to get treatment for his drinking and trying to help him, Meredith eventually broke and said enough is enough. She had made every effort she could. Mm -hmm. And at that point, she decided it was time to leave the marriage. And she didn't have any regrets because she'd given it enough time. So in July of 2017, Meredith files for divorce. And Spencer is not okay with this decision mm-hmm. um it's at this point once she files for a divorce she actually tells her parents everything that had been happening because she was keeping quite a few secrets from them yeah. including two times that spencer had been violent with her throughout their marriage including a time in fall of 2016 when he had slammed her face against a wall but again During both of those incidents, Meredith never reported them to police, didn't tell anyone about them. And even when she filed for divorce, she didn't request a restraining order against Spencer. She was not afraid of him or anything. She just wanted to get away and kind of start over. But in hindsight, now, telling this story after reading everything, uh, her mom wishes that she had been more afraid and had done more to protect herself. Um, Because as we can all probably assume where this is going. Um, But after the breakup, Meredith moves on uh, a little bit with her life. As I said, you know, she was a fan of kind of hosting parties with her friends earlier. And so in September of 2017, three Months after filing for divorce, she hosts a Dallas Cowboys football watching party at her home for her and, like, eight of her friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And her neighbors report that, like, all afternoon everyone was in the backyard. They could hear laughing and grilling. And it just seemed to be a really great afternoon that Meredith had with her friends. Mm -hmm. On that same afternoon, Spencer was at a local bar also watching football and drinking and around 2 30 it's noted that spencer went to the bar he sat down and he had two gin and tonics he shortly thereafter left the bar for approximately four hours he returned around 6 30 and ordered a miller light And then, like, 30 or so minutes later, ordered a Miller Lite and a lemon vodka shot. (laughs) And so, it was during the second visit that the bartender on duty, who was a friend of both Spencer and Meredith's, noticed that Spencer seemed quite drunk. And, like, more drunk than he should have been for, like, two gin and tonics four hours ago and two beers and a shot now. He was, like overly drunk and she knew him quite well so she did notice that and then while sitting at the bar during this second visit after ordering the second miller light spencer pulled out a knife and started spinning it on the bar 
Uh, he then asked for his tab and said he had some dirty work to go and do. So Lindsay, the bartender, was just got a bad feeling about it. She yeah. actually called the owner of the bar and was like, hey, Spencer's here. I'm guessing they were quite local to the bar. And he's doing these things. Should I call the police? And the owner was like, no, I'm on my way to the bar. Like, I'll talk to him, which is what happened. So David Banks is the owner of the bar. He shows up very quickly after Lindsay called. They never called the police, but he says, hey, the weapon has to go out in your car. Mm -hmm. You can't have that in here. So David walks Spencer out to his car to put the knife away. And it's when they're like in the patio of the bar area, it appears that Spencer pulls out like a pistol. And so now he's got a knife and a gun. And this is all on surveillance footage from the bar. But David gets him to put the weapons in his car. And Spencer comes back into the bar and he sits back down and... I guess continues drinking whatever drinks he had. He did. Yeah. He wasn't served anymore, but he still, I guess, had drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he pays his tab. And around seven thirty that night, Spencer left the bar, and Lindsay, the bartender, just didn't didn't mind. have a good feeling. Yeah. So she actually tells the owner, like, "Hey, I'm gonna follow him." I guess she had tried to get him to not drive, but he wouldn't give up his keys. She was like, I'm just going to follow him and make sure he gets home um, because he shouldn't be driving. Right. And so she gets in her car and she follows him. And I've said it a few times. She was quite good friends with Spencer and Meredith. She was even invited to Meredith's football party that night, but she was working and couldn't go. And so when... She's following Spencer. She realizes they're not going to Spencer's house. They're going to Meredith's house. And when they arrive, it is shortly after 8 p.m. And Lindsay doesn't get out of her car. She calls 911. Uh, And she tells the dispatcher that she has a friend who's in danger and that Spencer Height has a gun and a knife and that he was trying to get into Meredith's house. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... She then leaves. Lindsay leaves the scene because she's like, I called 911. Like, I don't know what's going on. He's not listening to me. Yeah. Whatever, you know. So then it's noted in all of the investigations that the first 911 call reporting gunshots comes in five minutes after Meredith's, after Lindsay's phone call. So she leaves and then I guess he did get into... The house. Her, the house. So dispatch had already sent police, but by the time they arrived, it was too late. Spencer Height showed up to Meredith's party with his weapons, and he not only shot and killed Meredith, he also shot and killed eight of Meredith's friends who were at the party. Um, he just lost control Holy and shit. shot everyone at the party. Just mass murder. Yeah. Uh, many of the victims were mutual friends of the Heights, and some of them had even stood by both of their sides on their wedding day. Like, these were very close friends, and he just went on a rampage. Um, when police arrived, 
he was still holding his weapons and when they tried to get him to release them he actually shot at a responding officer and so he was shot and killed by police oh wow uh during their investigation detectives found multiple weapons and hundreds of rounds of ammunition at the scene um there was one survivor uh her name is carly shockey a friend of theirs she was shot in the face and taken to the hospital and had quite a long recovery, but she did survive. Oh, so everyone except for her at the party was Everyone killed. at the party was shot and killed. Wow. Yes. And even though it's noted that he had a pistol while at the bar, it said he used a rifle when he was at Meredith, so I'm guessing he had other weapons in his car. Yeah. Or it was unclear on if the house that Meredith was living in was their home. Mm-hmm. And maybe he then picked up a rifle once he started. There there wasn't a lot of information on, like, the actual shooting spree inside the house. Right. Um, other than all of these unfortunate, innocent people were killed. So I do just want to recognize the other victims. In addition to Meredith Height, the other victims were Anthony Tony Cross, who was 33, Olivia Devner, who is 24, James Dunlop, who is 29, Daryl William Hawkins, who is 22, Maya Bass, who is 28, and Caleb Edwards, who is 25. Um, They were so young. So young and just having a great afternoon watching football. Like Like we've done many times with our friends, just like having a small party. Yeah. So tragic. Spencer's family released a statement following their son's shooting spree saying there's no rational excuse for his horrific actions. We as a family express our deepest sorrow and condolences to all of the families and friends of the victims. These young, vibrant lives did not deserve to be taken. Um, They were very distraught by what their son had done. Mm -hmm. And obviously the shooting spree is a tragedy. uh, But they had to do the investigation. So an autopsy of Spencer's body revealed his blood alcohol content and the time of his death was 0.33, four times the legal limit in the state of Texas. Wow. And investigators believe that someone needed to be held responsible for the nine innocent lives that were taken that evening. And so they filed charges against Lindsay Glass, the bartender. That served him that night. I didn't see that coming. I know. Uh, And that's really why I kind of circled around and chose this story. Because it is such a, like, there's such a twist. Yeah. But he had disappeared for four hours. Right. right? Yeah, I'm going to get to that. So, under Texas law, a person is guilty of the offense if he or she negligently sells an alcoholic beverage to a habitual drunkard or an intoxicated or insane person. That's quoted law. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a misdemeanor that carries a year in jail or a fine of up to $500 or both. And so in the suit against Lindsay, they allege that Spencer Height went drinking twice that afternoon at the same bar. Mm-hmm. During his first visit, as I mentioned, he had two gin and tonics. Um, the police do believe he then went back to his apartment and drank for the remaining right. four hours or potentially another establishment, but they've not been able to locate somewhere else. But he then returned to the bar and was served again 
even after they were knew he was intoxicated. So what they're saying is they shouldn't have served him in that second visit. Right. Okay. Uh, and the most incriminating evidence against Lindsay is her own text messages. Uh, when they went into her phone, there are multiple text messages on her phone to friends that afternoon talking about how drunk Spencer was, um, including things like he's acting kind of psycho and he's very intoxicated. And then one that I did quote verbatim, it says Spencer told me he needed to be extremely intoxicated to do what he has plans to do. And that's like from her oh, own phone. Uh, sorry, I did a facial reaction to that <laughs> that obviously uh, podcast listeners couldn't see, but holy shit. It's pretty damning evidence yeah. that she knew he was far too intoxicated and she should have done more. In her defense, she does not dispute that she did serve Spencer alcohol that night. But she also says, and her attorneys say, really, that she took actions that were not legally required of her. She did try and convince Spencer not to drive, and he refused to listen. She called the owner of the bar and asked whether she should call police, and he told her not to. And she followed him home or to Meredith's house, and she called 911. Yeah. Uh, so she took actions not required of a bartender. Does the did the bar owner also get in trouble for like having or not call? He didn't serve him. Okay. She did, and that's yeah. what the law yeah. is written. Uh however, in 2019, a Texas grand jury declined to indict Lindsay Glass, and she was not held responsible for any of the actions that she may have played a part in on the evening of September 10th of 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, The bar actually did face repercussions. They had to give up their business license and they were closed uh, because they didn't follow, I guess, appropriate liquor laws. Right. And so the bar did shudder. And then a lawsuit was filed against Lindsay Glass by the victim's families but that was also dismissed in May of 2019. However, there does appear to still be an ongoing case between that sole survivor, Carly Shockey, against Lindsay Glass. And I couldn't find... I don't know what has happened in the last three years. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find, like, the results of that investigation. I think in both of our cases, right, like, the last update we had, it was 2019... And not only does litigation take a long time, but then you have to factor in COVID and the courts were closed for a while. So I think that's probably why neither of us could really find much. But um, Lindsay is not facing, like, charges from the state of Texas. It might be a civil case versus this one sole survivor. uh, But all charges against her were ultimately dropped because there was evidence that she did attempt to do the mm-hmm. right thing. Yeah. I think had she not followed him, had she not called 911, she probably would have been charged. Right. Because they wanted someone to be responsible for the deaths of nine people. Yeah, and the actual killer was dead. Right. Yeah. It's interesting both both of our cases and like my the 
the parents' case against Ibero Star was also a civil case. So I wonder if civil cases just take longer or like are kept more quiet like the results. Well, I think I think that is a part of it. I think a lot of civil cases end in mediation and like settlements uh-huh. as well. Yeah. versus actual court cases which are more public. Yeah. uh domain and like criminal cases are public. Right. So I, they could have settled out and she might have to pay her right. a certain amount, but I don't know. Um, I did use a couple different sources. So the Dallas Morning News had an article, Couples Marriage Unraveled Long Before Husband Killed Wife and Friends in Plano Mass Shooting. The Albuquerque Journal had an article called Drunk Man Went on a Killing Spree. Police Just Arrested the Bartender Who Served Him. And the Dayton Daily News Charges Fizzle Against the Bartender Accused of Overserving Mass Shooter Who Killed Eight. Uh, however, and there is a Wikipedia page about this because it is a mass shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of information. I just thought it was interesting that, like, I've never heard of it, but it's a big enough case that it does have a Wikipedia page. Yeah. And I do think the the charges against Lindsay Glass, the bartender, mm-hmm. made it a little bit more unique than yeah. other mass shootings that have happened. Both such tragic stories. Yeah. True crime is never positive. I feel like it's just always a downer. Yeah, it is. It's it's interesting, and I you know I I obviously listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, but it, it is usually a, a downer. I think there's one thing listening to it versus researching and telling those stories. Mm-hmm. It always feels darker. When I'm, like, writing out those stories. Yeah, you're right. There is something about it that definitely feels darker when you're actually, like, investigating the story yourself. Uh, But on to something a little bit, or a lot lot a bit brighter. And that's why we drink. (laughs) And that's why we drink. That's a podcast. That is a podcast. (laughs) Uh, So this week we are going to do, unsurprisingly, another bar and a story. (laughs) Uh, we seriously though, I wrote this in our social media post, which is a picture of us. If you want to go look at it, uh, tap on the wrist podcast or a tap on the wrist. Yeah, I was think I was combining our email and our our uh, at, but I wrote in that that if you have any bars that you really love in your hometown or in New York, please send them to us. Let us know why you love them, and we'd be happy to talk about them. Instead of just constantly talking about a story of ours. Right. But we do love a story of ours. We do. And this one is one of the newest to open here in Astoria. We've been anxiously waiting for them to open their doors. Yes. Re- like, really. Like, they put up their <laughs> canopy. Is that, why am I blanking? The awning the outside. The awning outside uh, a while back. And there have been some issues um, that prevented them from opening. And we have just constantly been checking and and keeping an eye on obsessively. it obsessively yeah we just really wanted it to open because it seemed like it was going to be our jam and boy was it yes <laughs> so the bar is called maggie halls and it's in astoria as we said and it's like i'm trying to think of like the vibe almost like old like there's like this cool um gallery gallery wall, wall with, with like all these old pictures and 
sconces um, and it's like yeah. dark blue. So it's got like nice like smoky drinking den vibes. Right. But then like the cocktail list was also very interesting. Yes. So all they are going to change seasonally, I believe. So right now they have like a winter menu. And all the drinks had like bitters and were like they were very yeah. herbaceous. Yeah. Lots of green chartreuse yes. and maraschino on the menu, which is a bold choice. Yeah. For a craft cocktail. Yeah, there was nothing like super fruity, yeah. uh, which is usually what I order. Uh, so it forced me to kind of, obviously I could have ordered something off menu, but it forced me to kind of drink a drink that I normally wouldn't. And uh, they were delicious. They were really well made. Uh, and I was just really intrigued we talked about it at the bar we were like this is an interesting choice for a bar to go so herby and so bitter yeah but I enjoyed the multiple cocktails I had yes yes and I did order off menu you did yes twice yes (laughs) (laughs) but um it was great I love how local it is I Mm -hmm. love supporting small businesses brand new businesses uh, and it's just, it's got no TVs, it's not sports bar vibe. Right. It's literally there, like, for the art of drinking and, like, socializing, and I'm really excited to go back. Yeah, so I had two drinks. So I had the Gold Bath, uh, which had rum, ancho reyes, is that how you say it? Yeah. <laughs> Pineapple and lime. I'm Hispanic, I swear I should have known how to say that. Uh, and then I also had the last and final word, which had whiskey, green chartreuse, maraschino, lime, and coconut. So it's like the last word cocktail, but then they like threw in the coconut and yes. lime, which yes. like elevated it. was really it. good. Yeah. I didn't have that one, but a lot of our friends ordered that one. I had on menu, I ordered the long time coming, which had, is that what I ordered? Now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, that is not what I ordered. <laughs> well, off menu, you got an old-fashioned, which we mentioned at the top of yes. the episode was your thing. Yeah, I had... That is what I ordered. It, that is the drink I ordered. <laughs> losing it. She had quite a few cocktails that night. <laughs> yeah. No, but I did. I, I did order uh, an old-fashioned off menu and an aviation. Yes. And he very kindly made it for me, even though he had to go downstairs to get the creme de violet. Yeah. He did he wasn't serving it, but he made it for me, which is my favorite cocktail. And then I think I had this cocktail the long time coming. But I don't know why mine had Lalette Rouge, not Lalette Blanc. I know for sure it was a red cocktail. Hmm. So maybe it isn't this. But it was a gin based cocktail. Um, it had green chartreuse in it. It did, but it was slightly different than the one listed on their website, so they might have made some alterations. But it was it was delicious. Yeah. And I liked it. Yeah. Highly recommend if you're in Astoria uh, and you just like a good craft cocktail and a chill vibe. Yeah. No, like, loud music. I would, like, it's like a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, so, again, we will post pictures of our cocktails and from the episode on our social media. I'll let you say it since I screwed it up. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at a tap on the wrist. 
And then, again, email us uh, your favorite bars or any story ideas at tapontherispodcast at gmail.com. And we will see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, yeah, I forgot. (laughs) I think we should keep that in. Just like that. (laughs)